it's not better than Epi- that. And then season six, no, that was Battle of the Bastards. Bastards. Oh my god, I love that. Not and better then than they Battle they stopped the, the trend in episode. And then the show seven, ended eight. in season six. Yeah, the show yeah. ended basically. Oh man. Hello and welcome to the Popcorn for Dinner podcast. It is the end of the season. The ashes have settled. Everybody's sad in the realm, while some people are happy. But even though it's next week, I'm pleased to announce that the Ravens did arrive as we are joined by Popcorn for Dinner producer, Ibuka Namani. How are you feeling, guys? Uh, yeah, my Raven actually hasn't arrived. I just happened to be here. That's why I'm here. Uh you were already here. We've we've been, we, we've been in this room morning a certain a certain strong boy. But uh, but yeah, um, I think everybody else has um, has a lot to think about. So um, thank you for tuning into our season recap episode. We have a lot to get into. We have audience questions. We have general thoughts and an overall um, look back of the season we just witnessed uh, prepared for you. So I guess one of the first things we'll start with is well did we like this season how did it do as a first season of a new show on prestige tv in 2022 uh well i, I obviously liked it but it's hard to be like non-biased because i'm like obviously i was gonna like it anyways unless it was as bad as like the last like two seasons of game of thrones as a season as a show that came out in 2022, I think it was a good, um, it was a good show. Was it as good as shows like Severance? Probably not, but I think it was like a very good show. It wasn't as like, good as Severance in your mind. I don't think so. I I, I need time to to sit on that because Severance be fair, is one of the craziest things I've watched se- recently. I think okay. I know we're not here to talk about Severance, but Severance was actually mind blowing. Yeah, like I. I, I want to say that anybody who hasn't watched Severance, maybe give that a shot. Like, if you are, if you are wondering, like, oh, like, is this the next thing Apple is gonna do to take my money? Like, do, am I gonna have to start paying for Apple TV Plus now? <laughs> this is your answer. Like, if you're looking for an excuse to do it, like, you closet wanted to pay for Apple TV Plus but didn't have your reason. Your two reasons are Severance and Ted Lasso. Now, go watch yeah. Severance and yeah. let us know what you think because I don't know. I, I think I think it was. I think it was an interesting season. I think the general idea, like it's probably one of the most unique ideas for a TV show I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and I don't even want to say what the idea is because I feel like that spoils the whole thing somehow. Like I think everybody just needs to go in blind. But yeah. I don't know. I, I think House of the Dragon um, did its thing really because in terms of thrill, I'd say it was maybe on the same level as Severance. Severance is a bit more of a slow burn. Um, House of the Dragon has its moments here and there. But I think... In terms of delivering what it promises to the audience, House of Dragon did an amazing job. Um, I think that's easily um, testifiable by all the people who are saying that they were converted. Like I've seen a lot of people on the internet, in person, people in my own circles saying like, I expected to hate this. I wanted to hate this. And now I don't hate this. So I hate me. What's going on? <laughs> you know. So yeah, I, I think... I think it's been an interesting run so far. I think they've done a lot of things well, especially when it comes to setting the world up. So yeah, I will give it a pass. In terms of how it compares to Game of Thrones first season, I don't know. I'm inclined to think this is a better first season. Hmm. Let's not that may this, be a hot please. take. It's, yeah, it's going to cause may no cause fights. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think Game of Thrones season one was better. 
This was, I mean, you can tell that this show had more money than Game of Thrones, but I think that's that, the thing. Game of Thrones yeah. did really well for what they had. Um, it does, I mean, Game of Thrones did a good job of establishing the whole world of ice and fire thing. Yeah. I mean, before that, the idea of a fantasy thing on TV was just going to be like a movie here and there. Mm. Nobody was going to really follow it. Like, it was still looked down on. Now yeah. it's actually cool to like fantasy. Like, that really didn't exist before Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I think in terms of general storytelling and the ground that it covers, House of Dragon probably takes the cake. In terms of characters, I'm going to say um, that Game of Thrones may be better just because we've we kind of had more time to understand what each person was thinking. Yeah. I think maybe in House of the Dragon, um, things jumped around a little bit. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I agree with that point. It's like a lot of what happened in Game of Thrones in the first season probably happened in like a few months. But House of the Dragon was a few years, a lot of times with actors being recast. So it's, you don't, I mean, you spend a lot of time with these characters, but like I felt like with, with, um, with Game of Thrones, you spent a lot more intimate time with them. It's kind of like how I talked about in the last episode, how, you know, um, Viserys' death was weirdly more impactful for me than Viserys' death because I spent more time with Viserys. And, um, you know, a lot of people are comparing um, yeah. Viserys' death to Ned Stark's death, but, like, I don't think they're the same. I think Ned's It's not the same thing at all. Yeah. It's so not the same thing at all. That's why I, those kind of things just make me feel like I felt more for Game of Thrones season one, at least, than House of the Dragon. But I do believe House of the Dragon is going to be better than Game of Thrones. Like, I, I've, I've said I'm, from the I'm, beginning. I'm, I'm oh, I think, I think that's, I think that's more spicy, but you guys have read the book. So I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll defer to you, but I just, you know, Game of Thrones had season three, four, and five. That's, that's. Season five? Season five was boring. <laughs> season five was trash. There was only one good thing about season five, and that was Hard Home. Actually, no, there were a few good things. But like, season five, okay, yeah, season five wasn't the best, but still, they had yeah. that middle stretch where yeah, everyone was like, "This show is." Yeah, to me, one, two, three are the crazy ones. Not even three, four, five. Yeah, but we'll see. This is going to be a shorter. It's only four seasons, I think George said. So it's going to be not as long as Game of Thrones. Yeah, um, and that says a lot, really, because you know they've covered so much in season one. I yeah. mean, I've seen a lot of people who are just a little bit concerned about that um because they're saying well if they're rushing like this they're just going to keep rushing i'm i think it's fair to say that this show is I, we can now say it freely that it's about the dance of the dragons now, at this point there's no is there going to be a war is there not going to be a war in the minds of both show watchers and book readers like everybody is on the same page that hell is going to reign right yeah. so that conflict the dance of the dragons there is enough content in there for like three seasons on its own three or four seasons in my mind they were always going to do at least three or four seasons in total and looking at the way season one has gone we're probably going to get like four um even if george r R. martin didn't say that i I would have agreed on that front i like to see this show as having three distinct not even all that distinct and i think that first of all because i think and i think that's like a that's kind of um a good grade on their part there are three sections to the show there's pre-time skip, like pre-major time skip, the 10-year one. There's post-major time skip, um, post-major time skip before Viserys' death. And then there's post-major time skip after Viserys' death. Those three actually have different tones that make a lot of sense for the time period that we're talking about. And I think you're kind of graduating from one to the other 
without really thinking too much about the fact that that's happening. I think that's how effective the time skips are. Like the, it's, it feels like an increase in tone and intensity that makes sense for the progression of time. Mm. I don't think it's jarring at all. And I think that makes a, a lot of sense for character development. Mm. But with that in mind, what would you guys say is the most memorable episode? Oh, Driftmark easily. Driftmark is my favorite episode. I think that for, for, um, for people who um, don't have an encyclopedic mind. <laughs> Driftmark is episode seven. It's the one where um, um, Eamon One-Eye gets Vagar, loses his eye when uh, Aegon was made a fool of where um, um, the Rhaenyra had the iconic line, now they see you as you are. Uh, it was the perfect balance of, kiss. of chaos and, and fucking wholesomeness and family and chaos and violence yeah if by wholesomeness you mean um child on child violence then yes <laughs> no wholesomeness i was like people were you know leno was mourning his, his sister and he got a chance to escape with his lover you know that kind of stuff yeah but yeah that was my best episode in fact my my initial when i first saw it my gut reaction was that was this the best like game of thrones house of the dragon episode i've ever seen um but now my answer is no it's it's up there top three top five but not number one I'm kind of torn. It's either that one or episode eight. Yeah. Um, episode eight was kind of amazing, to be honest. Just in terms of doing a lot with so little. Yeah. This is Game of Thrones. Their budget is through the roof. Okay. Like they didn't have like there's bottle episodes don't really exist in in this particular world of of TV show creation. But if I was gonna say anything felt like what a bottle episode would be it might be this one because it's it's just it's it's almost like a flex like it's a dialogue flex there's so much character work being done in episode eight you get to really see viserys clinch his spot as the emotional heart of the season and you kind of are reminded what all of this is about like the way he's reminding everybody at that table what everything is about like what really matters i think we the audience are also being reminded of that and that was very powerful. All the moments there were sincere. When, I mean, when Rhaenyra stands up to give that toast, I think sometimes people may be watching that and be thinking, oh my God, what's she, what's she about to do? Is she about to throw shade in the midst of all this? But she sincerely just like apologizes. She thanks Alison for taking care of her dad. Alison says she'll be a great queen. Otto is confused by that and panicking, which is proof, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. I think those two are the stronger two episodes out of all of them. Uh, mm-hmm. It's... And it's it's weird because I I love the, the like you you broke it down into how like you know there are different time periods in the whole uh in the whole whatever and I I would have thought that nine and ten because when I saw the the episode titles would have been the stronger two but it was seven and eight uh seven was amazing and then it would follow by like the time skip to me that's the most important one because we've seen all the characters in their kind of like the final form for the dance uh so it, that was a good one for me and the series that I think that was the best performance of the season it was episode eight Paddy's performance oh my god. That long, um, long take of him walking um, into the throne room to defend Rhaenyra's claim, claim is a scene that I've watched numerous times. The only scene that I've watched more than that is when um, Lucerys got eaten up by Vhagar. <laughs> eaten up. What a way to put it. God, yeah. you know, people are still healing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was an appetizer, man. Not even the main course. It's a little, you know, a little order just to get started. Uh, what about you, Bukha? Do you have a favorite um, episode? I think I'm with you. I would say Driftmark mm. by far is my favorite episode. By far. Okay. Yeah, because I like the way it would be tried to describe eight as a bottle episode. Uh, I never really thought about it like this, so I like that. 
But I would say about the finale, I personally expected more from the finale. But mm. we'll get oh, we'll get to please. that. <laughs> ah, <laughs> if anything, honestly, the episode I expected more from was episode nine. There's just a history of episode nine is being bangers and. That is fair. There was no banger. I, I can't even argue with you on that. I, yeah. I, yeah, I literally think this is the worst episode nine. I, I, it's not better than Ned losing his head. What happened in season two? But it's not better than Battle of the Blackwater. It's that not was, better than the Red Wedding. Yeah. What was season four? It was Daenerys. Uh, Battle for Castle. Since we're Battle for Castle Black. Oh, that no way. Yes. Watches on the Wall. That was beautiful. Yeah. It's not better than Watches on the Wall. It's not better than... What was season five? Season five was Hard the Home? fighting pit where Daenerys almost died. Oh. Hard Home was episode eight of season five. Season season um episode nine is the one where Danny basically flies. The, the sons of the harpy show yeah. up and yeah, yeah she flies on Drogon for the first time. Yeah, I mean I'll argue season episode Hard Home was better than episode nine in my opinion. So I'll count. Yeah, yes. but still it's it's not better than Ep- that. And then season six that, that was Battle, Battle of the Bastards. Oh my god, I love that. Not and then they stopped the, the trend in episode. And then the show ended in season six. Yeah, the show <laughs> ended basically. <laughs> um, the, literally, that is so. Uh, we should that, honestly that should have been the first red flag. And I I felt weird about it when I saw the number of episodes in season seven was going to be seven. My first thought was like, who greenlit this? Like, what is the problem here? Did we run out of money? <laughs> You know the honest truth. Nah. I was actually kind of happy when I saw that because I was like, these guys have a story that they're planning on telling, and they don't feel like. Well, it looks like you episode. gave them too much credit. I did. Okay, man. they had a story that they didn't want to tell, <laughs> and they tried to run away. Uh, they wanted to go do Star Wars, and uh, unfortunately, they didn't get to do Star Wars in the end. That's that's unfortunate. But yeah, it's I think it's the weakest out of all the episode nines um, by far, and I was very disappointed by that. But yeah. I guess Shrey okay. needs to go have moments. We're not, we're not in the question section of the podcast yet, but how do you guys build anticipation for things that you already know are coming or will happen? Like you, for example, you're saying you expected more from episode nine, yeah. but you already know where the story is and yeah. like you can kind of guess where they're going to end the season on. So well, do you really, yeah. yeah, like, how do you temper your expectations with what you know is coming? Like, That's a fair yeah. question, since we guessed correctly, actually. <laughs> <the season. laughs> I, I mean, it's, the, the, the interesting part for me is that, obviously, I know where the story is going, but, you know, it's, so George has, the way he describes his writing process is that, he, he says that there are different type of writers, they're architects and they're gardeners. The architect plans everything out and starts writing, and the gardener just kind of has this idea, and he nurses the idea, and it grows into, you know, the story, and sometimes it changes, sometimes characters go do things that you didn't even expect. I think that I view it kind of in the gardener's approach, where I know roughly what's going to happen, but there's certain nuances of things that happen I didn't see coming. Like, whole episode seven to me, I was like at the edge of my seat for the whole episode. You know, um, Lenor surviving. I didn't know Lenor survived. I thought he died. Um, Lucerius' death being an accident. That's not how it happened in my mind. I, you know, and so there's a lot of like anticipation of, um, of, you know, you'd imagine certain things when you read it. And then it's just beautiful to watch someone else show you their interpretation and you can put the two together. Like for me, um, um, Viserys in the book and Viserys in the show are two separate characters. I can, my brain cannot put the two together because they're just very different characters. But Daemon is like the same person in both. So it's those kind of things. It's like they just, it adds another layer of complexity and beauty to like appreciating the, 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 the art form. Yeah. Um, the, the show really, I think, and, and I, I know I've said this before, but it's, it's sort of like 
for me, the, the word of law at this point, because I think the show is informing the book and the book is informing the show. The book is kind of a rough sketch, right, of what happened. And it's written after the fact some, by some people, you know, who were there, but also some who probably weren't. And it's written maybe like 20, 30 years after everything went down. So these people are recalling from memory stuff that they may not even have been privy to. Conversations like the one Rhaenyra had with Damon in front of that fireplace when they talk about the prophecy and he tries to strangle her. That's not something anybody who wrote those histories would have known. So the this show is kind of telling us all the things that the book Are you saying none of characteristically them could not. The dance? <laughs> no, but everyone dies eventually now. We've watched Game of like, Thrones. Everyone yeah, like dead, so literally like because the, the people who write this stuff like people are going to survive the dance don't get me wrong um even some dragons will survive the dance of the dragons but i think it's fair to say that um many of the people writing the story would not have a kind of pro renira agenda in mind like like think think about it right you have the high septon who yes. anointed Aegon. you have is it grammar orwell yeah you have like Mushroom, who was in the court and was just there for vibes. Like these people are all green leaning, if not full on green supporting. You get what I'm saying? Yes. Like that's, there's a reason in the book Rhaenyra. So mushroom was black. Mushroom was black. Yeah, mush, right. Mushroom was was kind of like the black because yeah. I think he just because he was there a lot, he yeah. probably you know liked Rhaenyra and stuff. He he may or he thought Aegon was kind of you know a waste man and stuff. So I think. There's, there's, sort of, there's sort of an imbalance and each of these sources is not as reliable, right? And the general tone of the book in a lot of the time tends to be green leaning because like the one that's portrayed as, you know, the reliable of the unreliable, of re- unreliable sources is um, the grand, the grand maester, the archmaester Gildane who's writing everything, right? So I think there's a lot to be said for filling in the gaps and the show is, is doing a good job of that. So because we have an idea of where things are going, it's easy for them to sort of surprise us when they show us how certain things actually went down. And we can trust them as canon because we know George R. R. Martin is involved. Like they're not just making stuff up without his consent. Like these writers are all sitting together and, you know, showing their understanding of how things really would have gone down in that world. It's possible that these are things George R. R. Martin always knew happened, but because he wanted to write a realistic portrayal of unreliable sources writing the story, he would have left those things out. And now the show is providing that. Like one of my favorite ones is one you mentioned about Lena actually being alive. That actually makes so much sense. You know, like him dying would have made sense too, but him getting a chance to leave is also something that's an interesting idea. And it doesn't change the outcome at all. Like it's just something we can add to the canon and be like, okay, this adds some color to what's going on. Yeah. Stuff that may happen with his dragon, Sea Smoke now, may be seen in a whole new light by yeah. both show and book readers. Yeah. So I think that's how the anticipation is built. That's the, the is it the prequel trap, right? Like Better Call Saul, which I'm basically an expert on at this point, <laughs> is, uh, is a show that had to go through the same thing. We knew how Breaking Bad ended. We knew where Saul ended up. We had a very good idea of, you know, how things went on for most of the characters, but they were able to create a show that told us a new story involving new people. A lot of the time, what happens isn't as interesting as how it happens and why it happens. And I think that's what these prequels are doing a good job of showing us, which makes it engaging for everybody watching. Yeah, that's uh, very well said. I try, thank you. (laughs) There's a lot to be said also in terms of the, um, the tone of the series. 
about their use of more archaic and classical language. I don't know if I'm the only one who noticed this, but there are some words that they say in the show that they never really said in Game of Thrones. I can't think of specific examples, but their English is a little bit more, I don't want to say Shakespearean, but it's a little, it feels more um, classical. Yeah. It seems more um, formal and it feels non- it feels less accessible to people who would be the masses. Let's put it that way. Yeah, And I think, that's a reflection of the time period they, they're in in Westeros. That's a good way to show that this is the same world, but a, dif- but a different era. Yeah. You know, the, like everything is mirrored in, in the books. And, you know, them using these words is sort of a reflection of them. Of the, and by them, I mean the writers. It's a reflection of they're taking words from the maester who would have been in a different um, social class from everybody else. And Mesa's are supposedly unbiased, but we know they have some type of agenda. I don't have proof, but, you know, soon the Mesa's agenda will come to light and there'll be evidence and I'll be vindicated, but today's not that day. Um, but yeah, I think it's very subtle and, and, and effective. Um, one other thing I liked in, or at least one thing I've enjoyed seeing over the course of the season is how people react to these Targaryen names. And the fact that somebody on this side are like, I used to laugh at this actually when I first started looking into this world because Daenerys' name is very unique in Game of Thrones. Like it's really, really unique. Nobody's name really sounds like hers except maybe her brother. And I, when I first started reading up on Targaryens, I saw that so many of these naming conventions are so set in. And at first it's like very funny. Like we break the fourth wall and think this is really funny. But then when you think how there's an in-world explanation of this because obviously they have a language and that language would inform the way some of those names are said. And clearly everybody wanted their child to be the promised child because there's so many people named Aegon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I, I think actually there may be up to 11 of them or so. We get six um, that are supposedly like in the direct royal line, um, people who could be princes, but, and five of them were, were kings. But I, 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 think it's, I think it's sort of interesting the way they do all that. Like you see names like Aemon, Aemond, Vaymond. Damon. <laughs> yeah, it's all of A's. I, Even Emma is it's, like it's interesting. MMA. It's I think it's very much influenced by like old old English, like in the what tenth, ninth, so like twelfth century, you know. Oh, yeah. if you ever watched like, um, the Lost the Kingdom, all those kind of stuff, you know, yeah. there were a lot of like, you know, Estelstead, Ethelstan, all those kind of names. Yeah. I think it's influenced and, by a lot of that. And literally some some of those names become more modern. Like something like you you said Ethelfell and Ethelstan and names like that, right? Something like Edward was actually there, but now yeah. Edward is a very common name yeah. that's spelt with just an E and not an E, yeah. right? And actually, speaking of The Last Kingdom, there um, a few of the actors from that show are actually yeah. in this show, Eamon and they're doing a fantastic yeah. job. Eamon and, and Helena. Who is Helena? Helena is Ethel Fled. No. Like um, I her daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. I'm seeing it now. <laughs> yeah, wow. she, it's is there, yeah. It's just like a big reunion. I would actually hope we see more people from that show because honestly, The Last Kingdom is fantastic. If you like Game of Thrones, but you also like true stories and like you like Vikings, that show is for you. You know, you it's know, really one good. thing that's stopped me from watching The Last Kingdom. I loved Vikings, what? like the uh huh, the origin, the the, the um, yeah. History Channel show of Vikings. History Channel I've seen one, that too. That it's really good. But one thing that discourages me from watching The Last Kingdom is that I know the Vikings don't win. And it pisses me off. <laughs> like, it just annoys me that these guys don't win. It pay, Like, it paid me a lot with Vikings, and I just pushed through I'm, it. I'm, like, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I loved watching the Vikings. I sided with them. 
Yes. But I'm in disagreement. Those people were ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> they couldn't plan well. Their plans were always bad. And they had no strategy other well, than rape and pillage. They had the love of the game. <laughs> what game, fam? The, how, these people could have destroyed the English. Can you imagine them not being able to destroy the English? It's because of the Vikings that we have colonization. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because they couldn't stop the English. Like, what is going Good on? Point. You guys could have destroyed these people. Like, you were taller than them. You had more power than them. Like, yes, they had armies, but you had brute force and people who wanted to die in battle no matter Bro, what. You know, screaming like, about me, Valhalla. Me, me and and you guys still always, lost? Me and my friends always make that joke that the first Viking king that came up with the concept of Valhalla must, must have hit the jackpot. <laughs> That's good <laughs> PR right there, man. <laughs> Truly, because, bro, these guys were always ready to fight, but they just didn't think far. Like, they never thought far. Even some of the best-thinking people, like, I don't Ragnar know. Ragnar tried, man. He tried. Like, he, he tried. He went far, but his sons, they dropped the ball. Oh, my God. Each one of them dropped the ball one after the other at different times. Like, it was kind of like they were passing. They were just passing the buck around, and it, it was weird. But, yeah. Either way, both shows are good. And, yeah, family, did you look it up? Yeah, I did. It's her. Like, literally, F.O. Flads or whatever's daughter. Yeah. It's, I, yeah, it's, I it's, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I just thought those naming conventions were funny and it's, you know, um, George R. R. Martin also, he's, he just has a sense of humor, I guess. I think maybe he's trying to challenge himself. Like how many names can I come up with that sound the same? <laughs> he's done really funny names too. Like, um, they mentioned Lord Grover <laughs> in this, epi- in, in, in this season, right? Lord Grover is, is an interesting one. He's the person who currently rules River Run, not the Tullys. They come, that's a, a whole other story. No, he's a just Tully. The pers- Grover Tully. I mean, he's... Isn't there a house named Grover? No, no, his name is but Grover they, Tully. His name is Grover Tully. Yeah, and his sons are Elmo and... Yeah, he has a son named Elmo. And his grandson, like Elmo's son, is named Kermit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. Like, sometimes I see names in this show sometimes. I'm like, maybe which one of his friends is he, is he <laughs> shouting out? Like, it's just like, I'm going to put your name in the book. I just yeah. think that's that's really interesting. But I don't know. Did you guys have any standout moments outside of those main episodes? What do you mean? Like the ones, we, the, the ones that we the ones that we said were crowning, the best. Bro. Yeah. Almost yeah. almost shed tears. Yeah. She <laughs> looks good in that crown, man. I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. Ashley, Ashley got down and, and on one knee. <laughs> I will go on one knee and knelt. And somebody oh, got me on camera. I, I just need to make sure that that video never queen. comes up. <laughs> oh my god! Nah, that was a beautiful scene. Yeah, Rainier. Yeah. It, it was just so beautiful compared to like the nonsense of Aegon. Aegon scene when he was out here holding a sword, going, "Yeah, yeah." No, but but here's the thing about that moment. Um, it's it's a very ominous thing for for everybody who like is paying attention. But it's also an interesting thing from a writing perspective, both like from our, from our side and from inside the world, because it's a, it's a cool moment of Game of Thrones informing House of the Dragon. It's a cool moment on them building, of them building on ideas that they've already given us. And what I'm talking about is there's a point where Tyrion tells Cersei, it's hard to put a leash on a dog once you put a crown on its head. Yeah. <laughs> and he's talking about Joffrey. And this is very, very similar to that. Aegon doesn't want to be king. He's trying to run away. He is fully a waste man. Like you have, I, I've talked be- like we talked before about the the different kings, different Aegons. I've mentioned them a few moments ago. I mean, you had like Aegon the unlikely, Aegon the unworthy, Aegon the distant. If you want to count Jon Snow, there's Aegon <laughs> the conquer- there's Aegon the conqueror, right? This is Aegon the Wasteman, right? <laughs> I'm going to call him, I think his official name from now on is going to be Aegon the Wasteman, Aegon the Second, right? And 
He doesn't want any of this stuff. But look at the change in his face once he starts lifting up that sword and realizing that the people are screaming for him. The people want him. The people like him. There's actually even a, a similar moment in Game of Thrones where Marjorie takes Joffrey out when they're walking through the sept. And she takes him out of that area to see the people who are just standing outside because they know the king is there and they want to get a glimpse of him. Yeah. And she teaches him how to wave to the masses. That's a very interesting thing to me. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's kind of a fun moment of Game of Thrones sort of informing House of the Dragon and building on ideas. Yeah. Because I'd, in all honesty, this is a worse situation than that. Imagine Joffrey had a dragon. Can you just just imagine that for a moment? And also, like, also the thing is, like, the reason why it's even worse, apart from the whole dragon thing, is from everything we're seeing in this world, the Targaryens are accepted god. Like, yeah. everyone just accepts that these guys are born to rule, there are kings, there's because no Because you have descent. no choice but to do so. Yeah. <laughs> yes. There is no descent, nothing. Yeah. It, so, like, the whole fight, <laughs> yes, the whole dance of the dragons is between them. No one yeah. from the outside is ever going to think, you know what, fuck these guys, man. They're just human beings like the rest of us. And even if you think it's like you have no chance, there's no chance. The only way they could have gone down is by destroying themselves. That's yeah. the, like the only thing that could tear the House of Dragon apart is itself. Rhaenyra said it. Jaehaerys knew it, which is why he tried to do the council. But let's look look how well that went. I mean, I, I don't know. There, there's just so many things that, that we can think about as to, you know, how things could be worse and what it would be like if the Targaryens were actually challengeable, but they're not. So, yeah, that's that's very interesting to me. Is it question time? I'm going to say yes. Yes, it is. Um, but, but before that, I'm going to say, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do like a little bit of a shout out to um, some of the crazy moments that we've seen this season. Um, I know we talked about like some interesting categories of stuff that we could evaluate, like um, the house that played the game the best, the most popular incestuous couple. This <laughs> was <laughs> That particular word was Barclay's idea. I don't know what he was thinking. That's like, um, there's a, and also just a moment of throwing shade. Um, but one that I'm really thinking about is kind of like the holy crap, well, how am I seeing this on TV type of thing? And I personally, and I think Barclay agrees with me, um, I don't know about you guys, but it's, it's the childbirths, man. Yeah. Like, I think, I think men have been allowed to not really think too deeply about childbirth for a long time, especially when it comes to watching TV. And this show is just like, oh, you don't know how this goes. Here you go. <laughs> it's, it's wild. Like, it, it, it kind of makes you realize that childbirth is a very dangerous thing. Like, it just reminds you of that. And, you know, you hear about people dying in childbirth, like, in old times all the time and you're like why is this such a high death rate and now you know like there were just so many things that weren't working out for them yeah I mean, and i don't even know which child but it's like the mortality rate but in the u.s has a yeah it, 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 it is still it is still rate. high especially if you're a person of color but yeah this is not a place i suppose but i don't know it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting to me because all the different scenes like it, emma aaron she said it she really informed a lot of the performances on this show and a lot of the conversations I, just by being there for like half an episode. Yeah, I know. So impactful. like Sean Brooks was just amazing in that. I don't know. She, she told Rhaenyra the, like the, the birthing bed is our battlefield. And that could not have been more true for so many different people. And, you know, I think it was Sarah Hess who said that they wanted to do something different to show that there are different styles of childbirth. Like Emma's lying on her back, which is like the classic thing we see on, like if you're watching Grey's Anatomy or TV shows like that. Lena is on all fours. Um, Rhaenyra was pacing around. <laughs> Ren yeah, Rhaenyra was pacing, and then she actually even started squatting. 
And I don't know which one got me the most. Like it was Emma's one. Like I've talked to some of my, my female friends who watched the series. I just like I know one of them was was saying that the um that the birth of Rhaenyra's um stillborn child was just like she said she felt it in her soul. <laughs> like, uh-huh. That one was that one was a lot to deal with. I mean, because they showed the child like dropping yeah. out of her. Um, I don't know. That was I, I'm just like wow. This this is 2022 TV. <laughs> like they're not they're not pulling any punches. And I think that's kind of fun. But actually, do you guys have anything for any of those other things I mentioned? Like how to play the game best, most popular couple that probably shouldn't be a couple. Uh, well, let's start with biggest the, moments of three shade. The biggest incestuous fam- um, couple is Rainier and Damon. Any other answer is wrong. And you should fight <laughs> me. It's Rainier and Damon. I, Hello, th- that's uncle, fair. I do, I do have a soft spot for um for the... um. The strong Valarians and the um, Daemon Targaryen daughters. I think. I think sure, that's kind sure, of true. Sure. I like nice the twins. Touch. Yeah. Those niggas were too excited to get some black yeah. women, bro. <laughs> 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 they <were> too gassed. <laughs> uh, uh, Yo, you, like, I look at their faces. Like every, it's so funny because. I've talked about this with a bunch of people about how those guys are just like happy about it. And first of all, from an in-world perspective, they actually like each other. Like how many couples in Game of Thrones in general are happy yeah. to be married to each other? Yeah. Usually people who want to be married can't be married. And people who are married are just angry with each other all the time. So this is kind of a nice soft spot, which is why like, you know, the hand of George R. R. Martin had to just come down and grab Lucerys and be like, nah, the heck with you guys. Like, it's, it's, Vigar literally grabbed him. <laughs> yeah, and literally. And up like a goddamn samosa. Like, it, goddamn. It, 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 was, it was just sad. Um, but yeah, I think that, that probably deserves a good shout out. But I'd say yeah. in general, Damon and Rhaenyra yeah. take the cake from also most Also Viserys people. and um, Emma. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Um, it's easy to forget that they were that they are literal cousins. Yeah, but the only but yes. Targaryens in the whole family, the only like marriage that has not been incestuous was um, um, Viserys, Viserys and, and Alicent. That's it. and look at the children that they sired. Two of them are married, and then they are, well, two of them are waste men. Don't you Helena? Oh, I love Helena. Oh my, yeah. Um, moments of shade. Um, oh, I'm gonna steal Bancolism because. I, I brought it up when he, when they said it is when um Allison tells um 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 Lena Keep trying, Selena, you might get one who looks like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but see, you know how can she say that to his face? You know the thing, one thing I don't know if we ever will get to the criticisms of the season or the characters or whatever. Oh, we will. I don't feel like Allison was consistent, you know. You can't go from saying something like that to a woman who just gave birth, like in front of her. To them pretending yeah. like you actually care about this. Well, no, I don't she, know. I just didn't feel she was consistent. No, she are you evil not. or are you remorseful? Which but that's it? the thing. Time time was passing, you know? Like, that's that's the issue with it. I think that's how they were able to sort of justify a lot of those things. Because they showed with each timescape how all the characters were changing and how they were developing in their own perspectives. When Alison says that, she's still extremely salty with Renira after those 10 years. She's still buddy-buddy with Kristen Cole. They are walking around, like, scheming. Then by the time she says what she says to Rhaenyra at that table, it's been like six or seven years, right? So, and and she's also become a bit of um, a religious person. So I think that she was trying to be a better individual and she was trying to make better decisions and have more meaningful relationships. So it kind of makes sense that she would kind of want to be on the good side. I think if anything, it wouldn't surprise me if they saw that 
some people might see that as an inconsistency and then inserted the religion in there to kind of make it feel like a reasonable choice that she would have made, like an agency thing rather than the writers just like making her make conflicting decisions. So that, so, that sort of makes sense to me. Yeah. 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 Um, my, my personal You're not the first person to say this to me though. My personal favorite shady moments is a toast to my nephews. because because anywhere else and i've heard that in the books there's actually ambiguity about which of them is a bastard right anywhere else that would have just been a completely normal toast like it would it would have raised a couple eyebrows but if it was it has some strong voice (laughs) Uh, that guy knew what he was doing bro do you know the funny anywhere else it would have just raised eyebrows and everyone would have like moved on (laughs) yeah the, the the funny thing about that scene is that I don't even think that's the biggest shade in that scene. I think the bigger shade is the pig. <laughs> the pig oh, that was dropped oh, yeah. in front of him and one eye. Luceris looks at him and starts laughing because nah, Luceris died for that joke. <laughs> he died for that joke. <laughs> <laughs> he died for that joke. But you want to know something silly, right? The first time I watched that, ep- like, not that episode, the episode before. Yeah. To me, that was just harmless cousin banter. Avon yeah. might just be a psychopath. <laughs> might. Might. The guy took it personal. I was like, bro, they were just playing with you, man. Uh, and might. at that point, I thought it was oh. cute. Like, because I had, I knew nothing about the dance this. I was like, oh, this is cute. Like, all the cousins are, like, friendly. It's their yeah. parents that have been. Oh, okay, so you felt like things things were actually going to be okay at that moment. <laughs> no, I, oh. thought, I thought the fight would be between the parents and then the kids would be, you know, together. <laughs> No, nah, I was bro. wrong. The parents reconciled. It was the kids that, that carried it on. <laughs> man, that's why we've been talking about generational conflict this whole time because you don't pass Viserys. You don't pass. It's, this show started off at Viserys versus Damon. Look at how happened at the end. Yeah, it's Viserys versus fucking um um Amen. It's like it's generational, man. It's it's too late. <laughs> it's too late for all these peaceful resolutions. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll have to see how it goes. But I guess we can we can get into questions now. Yeah. Um. So the one question, uh, question I got asked was that um the per- um the person basically said that they're a fan of the show, they've been following the podcast, uh, but they want to know more. Like, where can they go for more information? Um, if you're interested in the Game of Thrones, don't. Well, if you want to spoil the sh- the future of the show, there are three things you can do. One, read Fire and Blood. That's the biggest one, the biggest book, and is the, it has the most information, and it's centered about around early um, rules of the early Targaryen rulers. Fire and Blood. If that is too big for you, you can read um, The Princess and the Queen. That's another book. Uh, it's much shorter. Uh, short novella, a, the original novella. telling of the story. Yeah, and so it's a lot, it's a lot shorter. So you lose a lot of details, but you get away with the gist of it. And the third one is the Rogue Prince, which is another short story by George uh, about Daemon Targaryen. So those three would be kind of where I would start if you're interested in learning more about the story. Please stay away from the wiki. Yeah, please, don't go I to the wiki. You, the wiki just spoils everything for you. I mean, it's like you, you'll be reading one thing, you think you're in control, and then they just happily, just like happily and casually mention, oh yeah, and then when this person died, that also, like, wait, wait, hold on. Wait, wait. <laughs> read hold the on. wiki when you're done with, with Fire and Blood. If you read Fire and Blood, you can Bro, go on the wiki. I would actually, I would actually advise you not to Google any, it could be something Do as not. innocuous as a dragon, and they'll tell you, oh, this was the rider after this person yeah, died. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Facts like don't, don't. You, you're not in control of the googling situation. Don't yeah. do it. That's that's what I would tell you right now. Fire and blood, 
the rogue prince, sorry, fire and blood, the princess and the queen, the rogue prince. You can Google those three things and buy the book. If you hit, hit any wiki, I can help you. Godspeed. I think that um, actually lays up one of the questions I received quite well, which is just a pretty general spoiler-free request for um, what we can expect in season two. So what can we tell this person? Fire, fire, bond. <laughs> okay, so fire and blood. Um, you can you can expect um, a little bit of character growth. You can expect actually some interesting character introductions. Um, there are going to be some people that um, are th- some people who exist right now that you don't know about. There are going to be some people that you may not have really expected to see at all. And um, I'm looking forward to actually seeing how they cast some of those roles. Yeah, there um, was a there's so, a yeah. character that's a main player in the books who should have been introduced by now, but they haven't introduced. But in the last two episodes, I try so episodes, hard to not say this person's name. Well, I'm not going to say the person's name, but in the last two episodes, any keen observer of the title sequence will see that they introduced the character. Yeah, person they, is there. His sigil is a cup. That's all I'll say. Just look for the cup <laughs> in the in the title sequence. That's a new character that's coming next. You've basically season. just given it to them. No, I haven't. <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't said anything. Just look yeah, at the, that's the title sequence. Um, yeah, um speaking of which, the the title sequence really did develop this this season. I yeah. like what they were doing. It, it felt like a nice progression. A really good um build on the foundation of what Game of Thrones did with its own title sequence. I thought that was nice. Um what else? I'm gonna say well, one other thing that I was asked was how we've talked a lot about how women are a lot more measured in making decisions about going to war. Um, but then there's a little bit of a gripe because, and, and this is the question, do we think Rhaenyra and maybe even Alicent are showing a bit too much restraint? Like this person was like, if it was me and I saw Otto pull up to talk nonsense and say, you're going to take my crown, like it's on sight. <laughs> so, honest to God, what, what do we think? I still don't know why they didn't kill Otto. When he came oh, in, the, in episode 10? Yes. Honestly, that's, that's a big problem I have. They should have killed that guy because worst case scenario, they get slightly reduced. No one is... I don't think Aegon is going to go to war for his grandfather. Like, that would have just been a, coll- a collateral. Like, yeah. I think, I think I think probably... The, the, you, you have a fair point because I think the Greens at most would have been like, why did he go there? Exactly. <laughs> like, who sent him? And I, well, to be fair, the, the actual answer to that question is Alison sent Alison him. I don't know why Alison he shouldn't have gone there, but Alison sent him. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting question. I think at that point, both Renira and Alison were trying to play it safe, trying to play it cordial, trying trying to play it honorably. Yeah. Right. Um, Afam has told you guys before that this whole period is called the Battle of Letters and Ravens, you know. But then Lucerus gets killed, and and the Battle of Fire and Blood starts. I think they really wanted to do it without bloodshed. They both wanted to honor Viserys. Viserys would not have wanted them to kill Otto. And I think they wanted to do what would have, you know, kind of caused the least trouble. If Damon was there alone, Otto would have died. No facts. And he, no was, facts. And he was ready to kill him. You know, even Cyrax, Rhaenyra's dragon, was ready to kill him. And Cyrax is usually kind of docile. But um, Rhaenyra decides to kind of stop things. So I guess we'll have to see if there are any re- re- um, repercussions to that. Um, also, also, Rhaenyra probably didn't want to look petulant, you know. That's yes, probably the exactly. reason why Rhaenys didn't throw a tantrum to when they passed over her for the crown, because it would have been, yeah. um, you know, all women are so emotional. She knows the world she's living in, and she's she has to like if if she's gonna get called a scorn woman, it shouldn't be because of something she actually did. Like she doesn't need to help their agenda. Um, though, speaking of um, dragons and Rhaenys, I've been getting a lot of questions and. 
about that scene where she comes out from the ground and people seem to still have a lot of problems with it. Um, one, one friend actually asked me about that yesterday. And what I said was, it sort of is revelatory about her character. I think there is a lot to be said for the fact that she could have escaped later in the day. She could have maybe gone with Eric. She could have waited around, but she decided to make that moment hers, be very powerful and, you know, sort of face up to these people and show them that they don't have any real power, at least not right now. But I think there's also the real irony. And again, I know I'm champion of the small folk here, but there's real irony in the fact that she kills like a thousand people in the process and does not think about it. You didn't have to come through the through the floor <laughs> while all these people were standing there. You did it because of clout. Now, what I will say is she had a lot going on on her mind. I know it's easy to say that that was an unprovoked attack, but it was provoked. Like she was defending herself because they were, she had no idea what they were going to do to her. They locked her in her room. The only reason she was there in the first place was because Eric broke her out. So I think it's sort of a, like, an, it, it's, it's kind of a, I don't know, I guess a study into how nobility is pl- always playing these games with each other. And then the small folk are, the, are just used as dispensable pieces on the board. Like nobody even thinks about the fact that all these people are dying. And I love that because the show forces us, the audience, to actually take note of this. Because they put a lot of work into showing different people dying in different ways. They showed debris, they showed rocks, they showed like dragon tails, like knocking people off their shoulders. Like it's, it's just a lot going on there. However, one other question, and I'm going to throw this one to Fami, is can we say Rennie's is jealous of Rhaenyra? No. She's not. Fantastic. Because I, I had a question about that. Is Rhaenys hating or is she proud of Rhaenyra? I, I, I still can't I tell. I think she's proud. See, I think she's, she's starting to live vicariously, but I don't know, Fami, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think Rhaenys is not jealous. Rhaenys has given up all ambition for the throne. It, she wanted it at some point and it passed over her and she realized that there was no point in, at least I believe she realized there's no point in dragging my, the, my family and my kids into a pointless conflict. She just kind of let it go. And I think yeah. that she is, she has obviously been watching Rainier from when Rainier was young. And she told Rainier that, you know, these people are going to pass over you the same way they passed over me. And I think she, she's, she, it looks to me that she has been surprised by the moves Rainier has been making. So she's come to the point where she's proud of her, which is why she agreed. Cause she's made to, it farther than Rainier's ever did. Exactly. That, which is why she agreed to betroth her two grandchildren who, who are like the only thing she's basically like living for and like, you know, she loves those children because they are her daughter's children and they're the only family she has left other than Corley's who was missing for a long time. And also the restraint. Missing? The, nah. Well, he was Let's, like fighting in yeah. the pointless war. Well, he yeah, won he the absconded. Steps. Yeah, he ran yeah. away. Um, but yeah, it's um, also... Drag that nigga. <laughs> also, um, um, she was watching Rhaenyra in the War Council in episode 10 and seeing how we, she was We need to have like a conversation about the casting in Game of Thrones because two niggas have abandoned their family so far and it's two black <laughs> They're both black. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's so crazy. Like, I was thinking about this the other day because one of the questions I even have is like, okay, so where were all these black people in Game of Thrones? And there's so many in-world explanations I can come up with that would make sense. But I think we know why they were not there in the original show. Times have changed a little bit now. They really haven't changed, but they've changed a little bit. And like, I like that we have some some people running the show now that want to make those changes. And I yeah. do think we've come far, but it's just like what I said when it came to, to episode five, we light the way. How it's really progressive to see someone like Geoffrey Lonworth on screen 
playing what is ostensibly a pivotal role, at least up to the point where he's no longer playing roles, right? But in the end, what it is, is a straight guy being found out and called out by a gay guy and then proceeding to beat that gay guy to death. Now, yeah. in this case, we have black people in a position of power, probably the highest position of power. They have a lot of money. They have a lot of influence. Um, they are aspirational. And then, they, and then like the patriarch of the family leaves to fight because he's annoyed at the world. And then his son leaves with his boyfriend <laughs> because he wants freedom. It's like, okay, so I don't know if that's, if that's sending a message like, okay, black people can be in power, but at the same time, they may not necessarily know what to do with it. <laughs> it's reminding me of all those things where like people talk about like, like, I don't even know where to go with that. Like, I, I don't want to get overly like political about it or like, I guess, link it too closely to our own world. But I think people have a lot of um, conflict when it comes to those um, those portrayals. It's like how Game of Thrones, for example, one could say that one of the final messages of it is women don't really have the capacity to rule without emotion because every woman of power that was in the show ended up, see, you know, see. not doing so great by the end. Cersei, Sansa, Daenerys. Sansa, Sansa. Sansa, yes, but after they said, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy I got raped because it brought me to where I am today. Listen, I was I was going to say when I first when I first brought this point up, it was just me being a Daenerys stan. But we're going to mm-hmm. one day they will they will look at George R. R. Martin once he finishes the books and like we can accost him for something else. They will accost him yeah. for his female characters. Wait, in a good or bad way? In a bad in way. A bad way. <laughs> Wait, why? Yeah. I think he has very good like women characters. What? I think he does. However, he doesn't. He doesn't seem to. The decisions he has them making at times seem to be a little bit informed by a little bit too much by patriarchy. And like, of course, there's patriarchy in there. This is this is Game of Thrones. But I think you write compelling characters, you make them strong, you make them interesting, and you make them have agency. You kind of like, I think creating good characters is sort of putting a lot of interesting um, traits together and then calling that a human being and then putting them in a box and seeing what they do. It's kind of like an experiment. And I think a lot of those experiments went well. I think George R. R. Martin's case, he's doing a better job than what Game of Thrones did, at least towards the end. Like, he's doing a better job in the books. Benioff and Weiss were in a rush. We don't really, I mean, we can't speak to all their decision-making um, in the show. However, what we do know is that Daenerys, probably the most powerful promised child in all of promised children, at least in, in this world, you know, ended up killed by the man she loved and it was portrayed in such a way that like he was right and she was wrong and he had to kill her to save the world like of all the heroic moments you could have given Jon Snow the one you want to give him is I'm going to kill my girlfriend because I don't want her to kill other people like, in a coward's way didn't too really they couldn't to... even fight on Dragon yeah. Back uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't fight on Dragon Back he couldn't he couldn't make it clear that like oh I want to kill you like he lured her into a position of comfort of safety, he was kissing her, and can you imagine kissing somebody and then you, you, you suddenly like realize you're bleeding from the heart? Like what? That is that, that that's that's pretty wild. And then Cersei, death by rocks. Don't get me wrong, I wanted Cersei to die. However, like once she got on the throne, you know she became very, 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 very incompetent. Now Cersei was always bound to be incompetent in my mind because, and, and Tywin has said this to her before. I don't trust you because not be, um I don't mistrust you because you're a woman. I mistrust you because you're not as smart as you think you are. 
And Cersei was always trying to do too much, essentially. She was always trying to overplay her hand due to overconfidence. And that's something that was always going to bite her in the ass. But at the same time, I think that probably she could have she could have done more when she was on the throne. Like everything kind of just like all her all her all her decisions were informed by emotions and vindictiveness. Like there aren't a lot of women in powerful positions in Game of Thrones that are shown to be acting based on restraint and um, measuring the consequences, even when those people had those traits before they came into power. Does that make sense? Whereas in House of the Dragon, the restrained and measured responses of the women in power are consistent with their characters throughout. I think that's one thing that House of the Dragon has improved on. Basically, it's showing that women in power are capable. Now, there's a lot to be said for whether or not these portrayals are consistent. Like I've heard some people, for example, saying that, you know, the show is kind of nerfing um, Rhaenyra and Alicent, that like they know how the game is supposed to be played, but they're playing it nice just so like certain things can happen or just so they don't have to fight here and there. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but at the same time, I think it's just, that's just a pacing thing. And right now I'm, I'm a fan of the pacing. So I think we'll just leave that as is. But bottom line, I'd say House of Dragon is doing a better job of showing women in powerful positions, making decisions that make sense. Mm. Yes. I, yeah, I don't, mm. I mean, I, I don't know. How, I, I, I don't know how to think about that a bit more. I, I, I mean, I think the, the central problem here is that in my mind's eye, I see the characters, how they're describing the books, not the shows. The show is like supplementary to me. And so uh, when I see like some of the decisions, some of the characters are making in both, I have more of a, I've seen more about of the decision. Like I feel it has with the dragon. It's just like an, it's a lot, it's very truncated in terms of the storyline. Whereas in Game of Thrones, I felt like we got into the weeds a bit more. So, bec- and when you get into the weeds a bit more, that's when you, you see that ruling is not just a straightforward thing. Like if we're talking about people, women in position making, um, decisions like which of the men made good decisions you know everybody was making dumb decisions in, the, in, all, in everything like yeah in game of thrones and house of the dragons everybody was just making dumb decisions i mean the first well, three episodes of the series making bad decisions and i stand by that <laughs> uh yeah that is that is true but no um, sansa i'm still angry at sansa for betraying john man till this day I'm still pissed off shouldn't have done that john made them swear and then she told oh it pisses me off like she she wasted no time with that, and I don't know if that's even something we can explain under reasonable circumstances. Like, I I'm that's chucking what, it like, down that's to Dan and David. I'm chucking <laughs> it down to Dan and David. I'm just waiting for George to finish Winter Winter, and then I can actually have a, yeah. a whatever. It is what it is. But actually, but before we sort of close out this whole thing on on women in power, can we say that Rennie's declared war on the Greens? Not necessarily for Rhaenyra. Like, would she say, like, she, can we say that she is fully against them? Oh, yeah, she is. Like, she is. She is. She I mean, I know we can, but somebody was telling me that she's sort of declared war on them. And I don't know if she has. I think she just left and yeah. said, like, you know, leave me alone. I don't she, know if no, she, call it declaring war. Yeah, she even, basically even told them part. there will be consequences. And yeah, yeah, I yeah. agree. I agree. She basically yeah, like, oh, yeah, and, I see you, motherfuckers. Yeah, speaking of consequences, another question I got was, why was Kristen Cole not punished for the murder of Geoffrey Lonmouth and all the other things he did that day? Alicent. And Alicent is definitely the short answer. Yeah. God damn. Let's, let's, <laughs> not, let's not even get into Kristen Wait, Cole, bro. We, 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 we should. Have, I have, no, we should, we should get into Kristen Cole. I have Cole. one I central question. 
I've been asking everyone yeah. this question and no one has been able to answer me this. What's in the actually worries this Christian <laughs> Cole guy? Like, what's his actual... Like, I, I don't care. Like, what's his actual problem? Like, you, you know how many times I've paused... Uh, I've paused... Man, Chris. I've paused the thing to be like, what's actually wrong with this guy? Like, what's his problem? <laughs> I can actually imagine... I can actually imagine you just, like, watching the show, pausing, like, rubbing your forehead <laughs> and being like, what's wrong? <laughs> what is up with I'm you? I'm like, you, this can't be normal anger. Yeah, so oh, I, my God. I, I read this um um thing that there was, like, a deleted scene... Um, where Jeffrey Lomond, when he's talking to Kristen Cole at the wedding, where he, um, Cole then kills Joffrey, he basically tells Cole that, oh, Rhaenyra took the moon tea, like the, the morning after pill in Westeros. So part of the reason why he acted out and killed Joffrey was because he felt a rage because, um, Rhaenyra had, you know, aborted their baby and then he was filled with, it's not just why would he even be why would he be enraged about that? I, that I seems his ass. Because I don't know. I think it's just misplaced, like, He's first of all toxic, and then it's just misplaced um, energy. Like he's, he felt like he's. I don't, I don't know, man. I, I actually don't want to talk about that dude anymore. It just annoys me. I don't want to justify. I feel like I'm justifying his actions when nah, I try like, to un- explain them. You know what? Like the the short answer to the question is Allison, right? But the, if you if you want to get a little bit deeper as to why he wasn't punished, I'm gonna say it's because the Valarians didn't press charges, <laughs> and the the reason I'm saying that is. First of all, okay, he, he had like three main things that he did like that day. Let's get into two of them, shall we? So the first one um, is punching Joffrey Lon, um, punching, punching Lena when he was trying to stop him from beating Joffrey and when the fight was going on. Now, they're not going to get into that one, the Valerians, because it's like, okay, Lena, a knight who is battle-hardened, was punched by another knight. That's kind of just like fair play. I don't know. Like it's foul play, but it's fair play in the sense that like them coming to get Kristen's head for that would be like calling Lena weak in a sense. So I don't think they would do that. I don't think it's as significant. And that's not something a lot of people witnessed. They, what, they, what people were focused on at that moment was trying to get out of the way and trying to figure out what the commotion was. And when they figured out that commotion, it was his second offense, which was beating Joffrey to death. Now, the Valerians wouldn't press charges on that either because doing so would expose Lena as being homosexual. And that's not something they wanted to do, even though they themselves were fine with it. On top of that, he had Alison's protection and they formed that alliance right there. He was ready to kind of die for his crimes. I think he, he was just, he, had, he felt he had nothing to lose. So he's like, I'm just going to give in and this will be the end. I have, no, I have nothing to live for anymore. But Alison shows him that he does have something to live for. And that's why you know, they have such an alliance post time skip. So I'm going to say that's why he wasn't punished. Over time, like it, these things would just end up, have ended up becoming hearsay. However, having said all that, um, I don't know, men can just honestly be like crazy in this whole romantic thing. And that's something I was thinking about when it came to Kristen and Rhaenyra, because it's, it's just romantic entitlement, you know, because like, look at Rhaenyra, like imagine her being the, the crown princess, like the, the heir to a multi-century dynasty that is the sustained legacy of what is supposed to be the greatest civilization that's ever existed. And you still have to deal with passive aggression from a guy like Kristen Cole. Like, what, is, what actually is life? No, actually, I mean, this, this, is, this is good because this actually points me to why if it was the shadiest moment of the season was actually Rhaenyra's face when this nigga told her to go and pick oranges with him. She was like, you're not being serious, are you? Uh, <laughs> Yo. You're not being for real, right? 
Nah. Yeah, and he responded by facilitating the bullying of her children. <laughs> like, it's just such a bad cycle. Like, why, why is Chris such a problem? <laughs> he doesn't, this doesn't have to be this way. I, I don't know. I think, I think that it's just, it's just really like intense and, and weird and, and such because people are growing and we see how they're developing in terms of character, but some people aren't really changing as much. They're not, they're not being as responsible in their own decision making and they just carry these grudges. Um, it's like, it's like these things where like you, you know how in, in life you, you get into meetings or like situations where you reunite with people that represent a past era of your life, like maybe secondary school people or like people you used to know in like college or from a previous job or whatever. And then you suddenly become that kid or that, that person again. Um, for better or worse, you start to feel all, all, all kinds of things dredging up. I think that's essentially what happens between Rhaenyra and Alison, especially after the time skip. Um, Except that they're so accustomed to it that it's just the norm in their relationship. Like they don't realize that their relationship is stuck. They don't grow at all, and they're still the teenage girls that went through a breach of trust. Like they're just emotionally stagnant in their bond, and they're blocked off from any real chance to heal, at least up until the point where Viserys makes his speech. But then that doesn't really do much either. I mean, it kind of does, especially since they were trying to be measured with each other in those final two episodes. But now Viserys is dead, and you know, season two is going to be a different ballgame. So yeah. Um. Okay. So the one thing. <laughs> Uh, a close friend of mine was actually telling me that um, he has a comment and that he hopes everybody who listens to Popcorn for Dinner hears this. And that is that Daenerys is more Alicent than Rhaenyra. Now, he said this is a hot take. And this guy, I should point out, has always been a Daenerys hitter. <laughs> <laughs> but he said Daenerys equals Alicent equals Karen. How do we feel about this? Uh, well, I feel like there are two Daener- there are three Daenerys's. Daenerys in season, the first few episodes, then Daenerys up until she arrived in Westeros and Daenerys went down mm-hmm. and David decided to destroy her. Destroy is a good word. Even when Rhaenyra, Daenerys was being butchered, I don't think she was being like a bad bear like Alicent. She was just like, well, she was just being gaslit and like people were just like, I don't like to talk about that last season, but no, I don't think she's closer to Alison. <laughs> You're so Rhaenyra. traumatized. I am, man. I am. What is this? It's like, and the, the painful thing is like the Mad Queen theory is like a thing. It can happen. Like the Targaryens, you know how these motherfuckers be, two sides of the same. It point. could have been done well. It just yeah. wasn't. I can even make the argument that, you know, Daenerys can be more similar to Daemon, if anything, not even Alison or Rhaenyra, but, um, she's not as unhinged as Daemon. <laughs> Actually, she crucified the master. She burned down King's Landing. She's done some stuff. Um, yeah. some Damon stuff. I think she's more similar to Damon than Alicent or Rhaenyra. Yeah, that, that's probably a good point. Damon is sort of the answer that we didn't think about there. And um, like I said, we've, we've sort of gotten a lot of insights into how these people really thought thanks to the show because obviously the show is written by, as we said, people who weren't there for many moments, whereas Game of Thrones books are written from the points of view of those characters. Yeah. But this person actually also had a follow-up question, which is, you know, it it builds on the idea of what we said or what I was discussing earlier about how many of these events were told after the fact by, you know, all these different people. And I think the person wants to know if we um, would be upset if these writers got major things wrong. Like if the book has told us something and it's been informing our, our sketch of things this whole time and then all of a sudden the show is like, actually, no, that's not what even happened. So it's not even that they're saying like there's not so in this case it wouldn't be like the show is coloring 
events that were in black and white in the book is that the show is saying, nah, the book is was wrong in this moment because <laughs> these people were misinformed. I, I don't know. Would that make you feel any type of way? It will. It won't. I, I love the, the the unreliable. I think I'd love it. To like, be honest, it's what I love. One of the things I love the most. There's a there's a scene in the original books where Tyrion is in book five, I think. Tyrion is having a conversation with somebody and they're playing like a, a game of wits to try and see who's smarter. And they're basically quoting things from the from the Dance of the Dragons. Like, oh, this person died doing that. That person dies doing that. Yep. And then they're both, one of them is wrong because the official account is wrong. And Tyrion just basically says, this is wrong because X, Y, Z. And like unreliable narration. I, I love that. And I'm here for it. It's nice. Yeah. Um, and like, just like the whole thing with um, Eamon and Vagar, for example, I think that's just that that's kind of fun seeing us see his face after <laughs> after Lucerius is killed because he's just like he has his face like oh my god like yeah. i really messed up here yeah he was blinking and really hard <laughs> he was really blinking like he just woke up um <laughs> somebody actually asked me um <laughs> the person said that she wants to know why amond is a bitch ass <laughs> oh, she actually i think she, she actually said it was like bitch ass and then she had a word after that, and then she redacted it because she wanted, she wanted to just she wanted to just like calm down. She was trying to calm herself, and she's like, "Hey, can we still like? Is it okay? I, don't even put that question. Like, can we still add that question? I'm just like, okay, you want to ask us? You want us to explain why Amond is this? And like, yeah, we okay. can do that for you. So, can who wants to go first? Can I say something? <laughs> I think I have a problem, right? Where okay, one season is not enough to make me care about the death of a character. Because I remember in season mm, one mm-hmm. of Game of Thrones, Ned Stark died. I felt for Arya. I felt for the kids. But it didn't really hit me. I was like, oh, this is an honorable fool. Like, and, and the thing is, like, when I started watching Game of Thrones, I was behind everyone. So I knew that Jon Snow would die. Yes. But I didn't think I would feel anything until I only started liking Jon Snow until, like, season three and four. That's when I was like, oh, shit. Like, he can't. Like, I would actually cry if this guy died. But yeah, Lucerus' death, I really didn't. It didn't. There wasn't it, enough. Yes, it didn't hit me. Okay, but yeah, you guys yeah. can. You guys I feel, can. I feel speak you on, on that. the Amond and his character and why he is the way he is. Yeah, Afram, what do you think about Amond? Yeah, like why is he the way he is? What why is wor- what is worrying that guy? The, why does the sun rise and set? Why is the earth flat? I don't know because this motherfucker is a, is a dumbass. That's why. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's it's interesting though because like yes, you you lost your eye when you were a kid. I'm not saying that's not trauma. Um, and it was actually because of something his brother started. He's blaming, he's blaming the Valarians for this, but you know, it was Aegon that started this bullying and he ended up getting himself the largest dragon. Like he said himself at the time, you know, I gained a dragon, but I lost, like I lost an eye, but I gained a dragon. And, you know, he then had the audacity to be shocked (laughs) after what happened with Lucerys. So I, I, I don't know. I think, I think Aemon is looking for a fight. I think he has a bone to pick. I think he's still that kid in the schoolyard or in the training yard who was sort of looked down on, even though he wanted to be good. And he's trying to show that he's toughened up. Like He's like, everybody who came for me back then, I'm ready to come for you now. Tell me when and where. And he just wants to like squash all that. He wants, he wants everything to be settled. And he's been trained by one of the most vindictive people in the game, Kristen Cole. <laughs> so I don't know. It, it it could lead to a lot of problems. I mean, he at this point he could fight anyone. Like if he could do what he did to Lucerius, um, just because he showed up in the same place that he was, you know, God knows how he would act if he's faced with Damon or something like that, right? Speaking speaking on Amond, I saw a TikTok and the person said they really like the way it was 
his attack on Lucerius was depicted in the show because it gives yeah. him a villain arc, right? Because he has yeah. two choices now when mm. he goes back to King's Landing. Either he tells them... You can say he was attacked. No, no, not even the attack. Either he tells them, yes, I'm the Kinslayer. I killed my cousin because fuck that nigga. <laughs> or he admits to them, I'm too weak to control Vega. And like knowing Amond and like you said, him still trying to prove that he's the big man. He's not going to want to tell mm-hmm. them it was an accident. So he's going to have yeah. to accept yeah. everyone cursing him and hating him for being a Kinslayer for something he didn't even do on purpose. So that probably or, informs how he grows and develops as a villain or his character. But yeah, I thought that was that was really interesting. Yeah, uh, it would be very cool to see how people react in the show when when he gets back. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm actually also interested to see not just how the Greens react, but how how Damon and some of the other people surrounding Rhaenyra react. Cause there could be there could be a lot of developments there. Um I feel like Damon would want to protect Rhaenyra and he would want to essentially act on her behalf. Like the same way Aemon is sort of Aegon's enforcer, or he's destined to be Aegon's enforcer in my mind. Um Damon is is that for or he's going to be that for Rhaenyra if he isn't already. So but I think that's basically all the questions. I have some other comments, but that's, that's basically just like all the questions for now. Um, there are like some theories as well, but I think we should can probably we should probably just get into Ibuka's questions. Oh, my questions! My questions aren't serious. <laughs> my questions are things like, what's the deal with Helena? Like, wh- why is she always in what sense? She's always saying some things. Like, I don't know if they're prophecies or whatever. But what is? She's not... I think it could be that she has the whole dreaming gene. Like, she has a bit yeah, of a... Yeah, like dragon dreams. Yeah, she, she, she kind of has that whole thing where she can see the future but doesn't really know. But like I was saying in the previous um, episode that these visions of hers are becoming more and more vivid. Like, they're becoming more, like, literal. Yeah. Like, it went from something like, um, you know, he'll have to close an eye and nobody knew what she was talking about yeah. to dragons of flesh, weaving dragons of thread... To now, she's literally saying, "Beware the beast beneath the boards," yeah. and a literal beast beneath the boards comes mm-hmm. out. However, I will say that also in episode nine, which happens to be, in my mind, a character study of Aegon and how the people around him view him, not just as a person but a potential ruler. He was the beast beneath the boards because they found him in the sept hiding under a table. Yeah, sure. you know. So that prophecy you can see in a bunch of different ways, and I think. Helena is burdened with all this stuff and she kind of just like tries to cope by taking care of her children, talking to her mom whenever she can and, you know, knitting her little bug tapestries. <laughs> I don't know if she's, she's just obsessed with bugs and yeah. honestly, it seems strange at first but I'm, I'm glad that she has something that brings us <laughs> I think she's Because it's not Aegon. I think she's on the spectrum. Somewhere. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Um, there's a lot of symbolism in there like with the dreams. Aegon and his sisters, um, Visenya and, and Rhaenys really built everything. Um, in King, like in King's Landing, for example, you have um, the three hills. There's Aegon's hill, there's Visenya's hill, and there is Rhaenys' hill. And Aegon's hill has King's Landing. Visenya's hill, I believe, has the dragon pit. And Rhaenys' hill has, I think, the sept. And you can see all these little... like Visenya has the sept. Visenya has the sept? Yeah. Yes, Visenya has the sept and Rhaenys has um, the... Um, the dragon pit, and I, I think I think it's cool actually. Um, how Visenya has, like, she's not spoken about as much, but um, 
because Aegon was more in love with um with Rhaenys. Um, and I mean Rhaenys' sister, not Rhaenys the Queen, who never was. For anybody who's confused, I apologize. I did not make these names. <laughs> but Daemon and Aemond are both carrying vestiges of Visenya, who in a lot of ways was like them both. You know, in addition to being a little bit like Alicent. You know, Visenya was the mother of Maegor, who effectively crowned her son in a situation that can only really be described as fire and blood, just like Alicent. And the crown she put on his head was that of his father, the Conqueror. And now, yes, it's taken like roughly 100 years, but the next person to wear that Aegon, the Conqueror's crown, after Megor the Cruel, was, is Aegon the Wasteman. And that, that says a lot <laughs> because he's wearing that crown and he's carrying Visenya's, um, well, he's carrying Aegon's sword as well. Whereas Daemon is carrying Visenya's sword, Dark Sister, and Aemon is riding Visenya's dragon, Vigar. So these little like heirlooms, or I guess big heirlooms, have really been passed down in their family as weapons of war. And unfortunately, they're using them against each other. And I think that's kind of like a cruel irony. When you bring up Mago the Crow, it reminds me of the scene where Aemon is complaining about how he reads this, reads that, trains this, but Aegon is going to be king. And I'm just thinking, if you want it so bad, you know you could just take it. Like, you could have just said, you don't want this guy to be the king. You feel like you deserve being the king more than him. Just start a revolt, man. Yeah, exactly. I mean, revolts don't necessarily go well for everybody, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if if you think this guy is so... Actually, that's 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 another question I had. Do you guys think Aemond would have been better than Aegon as king? No. No? no? I think he would have been a different type of bad. Okay, yeah. just a different type of bad. I think I think if the Aemond we saw in um if the Aemond we saw in in Driftmark and the Princess and the Queen episodes yeah. six and seven, or seven and six respectively, um, if that Aemond had grown up better, if that Aemond hadn't lost an eye, if that Aemond actually got the attention he needed, then yes. But the Aemond that he became thanks to Kristen Cole and Alicent and all these other people, you know, that's a problematic Aemond. And I I think I think in, in episode one, um, Otto says that Daemon would be a new Mega the Cruel. And I actually think that's more likely to be someone like Aemond now. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I see that. I really, I really see that. Okay, I feel like we've covered most things. Um, um, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, most things. But I think we've as- at least answered most of the, like, the questions. Oh, wait, no. Hold on. There is something. Somebody asked a really good question. We already talked about the one about where the black people are, but there's another one. Why is Kristen so peng but has such a nasty spirit? <laughs> we basically we basically covered that. I think we could do a whole study on Kristen Cole. But yeah, I think it's just that he doesn't realize that his lot in life is actually good. He could do a lot better. Um, that question is actually from uh, from Priscilla, who has been covering the Rings of Power. And actually, someone else on Twitter asked why good King Viserys didn't choose Daemon as his hand after Lionel Strong was killed. And instead, brought Otto yes. back. Help me out. Like, had he, like if he had forgiven Otto, why didn't hadn't he forgiven Damon? And I think that's or Damon wouldn't have come back. Honestly, I mean, that's one answer. I don't know. What do you get? Um, Ibuka, what do you think? Honestly, I've, that's a question I had. I was like, Otto messed up, and you sent this guy away. Just let him go away. Like you still don't trust him. You still feel yeah. like he has, mis- like, a hidden mission. So just pick someone else. That's what I just said. I didn't think that was weird. Yeah. I think sending for Daemon would have been a good choice, but at the same time, 
I don't know if he's if he felt that that was surely what he wanted. I feel like on some level he was kind of torn because they hadn't left things well and he hadn't talked to them on all this time. And I feel like reuniting through a letter, asking him to come do this or do that would have broken both their prides in, in, in some way. And I don't think he was ready for that level of reconciliation because he would have had to say he was sorry first. He would have had to call him through. Sure, he doesn't necessarily need to do all that stuff since he's a king and he can just request things and have them on demand. But I think that he wanted to have a better relationship with Damon or he wasn't sure how to go about that, which is why when they see each other at that funeral, you know, he's trying to talk and Damon isn't really having it. Thankfully, they do reconcile at some point. I guess they become okay with each other at the very least. But it would have been interesting to see Damon as the hand because he would have protected his brother. And I guess he just felt that that's not something he could do, which is kind of sad. Like that's something that probably he had available to him, but he didn't try to do that. Like Viserys didn't really even protect himself in that way. And that's part of the tragedy in my mind. Yeah, Viserys trusted Otto way too much because if he knew, if he really knew, if he knew that what he was about to do and what he did for most of his life, sticking with Rhaenyra as his heir was going to be controversial. Surely he didn't think the realm would accept it lying down. He should have brought the family as close to him as possible. So, like, he was basically yeah. alone in that court wanting Rhaenyra to be king, to be queen after him. He needed more people there mm-hmm. who would stand on that side. So, Damon, for example, I don't know who else he would have brought, honestly, because Rhaenys wouldn't have left Driftmark. But yeah, he needed more Targaryens. Yeah, in there. yeah I agree with that. Oh, also, this is this is a good question for you guys, but also something I found out before this episode, and will be a good PSA to everyone that watches Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. There is a hierarchy of hair color, because I've always been pissed off as to why Jon Snow was the only Targaryen with, with dark hair. But apparently in the Game of Thrones world, there's, a, there's like a blood strength table where some like families beat other families, and that's why the kids would have for example, the strong blood is obviously stronger than Targaryens. Mm-hmm. So that's why the two kids yeah. have dark hair instead of... That is the reason, yeah. We've <laughs> said before that the Baratheon seed is strong yeah. and it's, it's the same thing for the for, for the Starks. Yeah. And um, the Baratheon, like, Rhaenys has black hair in the books. Like they changed it in the show just yeah. to make her more regal. Actually, because it's Baratheon blood, you know, beats Targaryen blood. Yeah, she she should have had, like, I mean, yeah, it was it was an interesting change and really it's fine. It doesn't it doesn't change anything. Yeah. And also, like, it's, it's something to be said but, um, about the blood of the first men. Um, both how strong and how stark have the blood of the first men. I'm not really sure about how's Baratheon. I think the no, Baratheons are Targaryens. Well, they're Targaryen bastards. Or is Baratheon the first Baratheon was Aegon's bastard brother? Oh yes, yes. But bastard. So yeah. So it was a bastard with you know somebody that had the blood of the first men. Probably. Yeah. So yeah, like that. The, the essentially the seed is strong, and that and that's why. Also, um, for reasons that I think we've talked about at length, um, Targaryen blood, the fidelity is not all that great. And I'm sure everybody listens to this can um, can kind of glean why. Um, it's 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 something that I think is a cool detail to add in the show because yeah, like when you're writing such characters and they're you know in such a fictional way, you can kind of go anywhere with their hair color, and it says it says a lot about the people. I mean, the Lannisters are described as having golden hair, like different from the Targaryens, which is a lot more silver, but like their hair is golden and they have green eyes. And that's a family trait that you can see. Like you always know them when you see them. And that's one of the reasons, I mean, that Cersei is 
you know, considered at least in that world to be one of the most beautiful women in the kingdoms. And she kind of takes that to heart and internalizes it as something that makes her better than everyone else. Just a few more things I probably should mention. I talked a lot about the rats <laughs> this, this season, and I'm still looking for a bit of a payoff to that. I don't know if there's a link between, you know, the rats eating away at the kingdom and, you know, the, the summer about like the, the, well, the, the imagery about the last, the last supper and, you know, who was sitting on either side of Viserys, like, you know, the greens are kind of on the side of Viserys that's rotting, which is something that I saw. And then the side of Viserys that isn't rotting, that's where Rhaenyra's family is sitting. And I don't know if that's kind of a subtle nod to like who is contributing to this man's stress. Well, one of my um, friends had this point about yeah. how like it was like a metaphor for the rotten decay within the house and it's mostly unseen. And the people who were mostly seeing the rats were Rhaenyra and, uh, sorry, were Alicent and, and Viserys. And uh, she went on this uh, spiel about like, you know, the rotting one. I don't know. One is rotting physically, yeah. one is rotting emotionally. It's, yeah. the, the, the greens really bring in this idea of, you know, conflicting intentions. I know we always talk about how the, um, the Targaryens wed brother to sister to keep bloodlines pure, but I think it's also to kind of guard their secrets because they don't want the prophecy potentially getting out to other people. At least that's something we know now. And I wonder if, you know, the dragons actually started to die off because they started being used for selfish political pursuits um, of power and ambition rather than the salvation of the world. Like maybe that's why they started to kind of, you know, lose certain levels of power and influence. By the time Game of Thrones starts, there's no magic in the world because the dragons have all died. Like it's a different landscape and they're struggling, at least John and, and people on his side are struggling to get people to, you know, figure things out and come together and it just doesn't work out for any of them. And I wonder if that has to do with it because this now like it's, we're getting a dilution of the, the amount of people who know this prophecy and can interpret it in their own way. Um, wait, Ibuka, were you about to say something? Oh, no, no, no. I was just, just, I was just saying good point on the dragons. Yeah, it's just, it's something I thought about. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's basically it. I know one per- <laughs> I wondered if the show was kind of like choosing sides already, like planting seeds in the audience mm-hmm. minds to make them like love Rhaenyra and hate Alicent. But I think it's a bit more nuanced than that and season two will build on it. You know, I know that there are some people who don't hate Otto. That's a hot take I got from somebody that <laughs> I don't hate Otto. He's just doing he's just doing what he needs to do and he's playing the game. Another another reason why someone said the histories would not have been kind to Rhaenyra is that both men and women would have hated her at this time. Like, <laughs> like she was making the block hot. Like, you know when, mm-hmm. like, you know, because now all the men are like extra vigilant on their wives. Like, let me see that nigga's hair. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, who's this guy that's always around you? So yeah, it's, it would have been. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, But yeah, I think we can probably leave out other stuff we've mentioned, like, you know, the camera work and the production being good. I think we've talked about all the story points. But yeah, since family needs to go, and yeah, sorry for all the jumping around and fourth wall breaking, Bankoli. <laughs> um, but yeah, we can probably. Are there any? Is there anything else we need to mention before we close so. up? Give the people something to look forward to for season two. Tell me, tell me. Actually, don't tell me. I was gonna say, tell me how Kristen <laughs> Cole dies, but don't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we don't. We don't okay. Spoilers here. Yeah, I think for season two. Um, things are things are going to intensify, and they're going to be simultaneously more focused and yet more um, 
sprawling in the sense that we're going to start to see um, lots of new directions um, that people will travel. Lots of new people will come into the fold because obviously like Rhaenyra and Alicent are gathering allies. We're going to meet some of those people. We're going to meet some people who um, probably will get used to the dragons as well. I mean, we, we've talked about how there are a lot of riderless dragons. So expect more dragon content, expect um, more alliances. And, you know, in this world, alliances tend to lead to betrayals. So expect more of that too. Um, and yeah, just expect more interesting production value. I think that the show is doing a fantastic job. I don't know when it's going to come out. Casey Blois, who's in charge of um, programming at HBO, actually said something along the lines of don't expect season two of House of the Dragon in 2023, okay. which is just hard hitting. Uh, I think they plan to start filming in early 2023. So, you know, if that's the case, then we'll probably get it in summer 2024, just like we did with this show. Because um, I think they started, I started seeing stuff about like, the casting and people reading the script and them starting to film in like January of 2021 or early 2021, something like that. And we got it um summer 2022. Can I say, so that yeah. finale really scared me because I was like, oh, this isn't, it's, it's silly because I should have known because I was watching Game of Thrones, but I was like, oh, this uh-huh. isn't a war where like faceless people are dying, where it's like army versus army. This is a war where they're both yeah. going for the next. Like you kill my son, I'm expecting a son in return, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah hmm. yeah like it's it's a small cast but people are going to it's going to be trimmed down <laughs> yeah uh yeah 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 that, that is uh it's, it's, I, it's definitely going to be trimmed down that's the way you said that makes yeah, sense i sum it up next season of four words vengeance justice fire and blood <laughs> that's what's coming Lovely. well said Lovely. well said and and with that, um, that's that's everything from us today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you very much for coming on this journey with us. And thank you for, to um, producer Ibuka and Mani for taking our call and answering our raven. It was really nice to have you on the podcast here with us. Um, today's show was produced by him and Bankali. And Chengdu Heiji, thank you to Jibs, wherever he is on this planet. And thank you again, all of you, for listening. Please stay tuned to Popcorn for Dinner for everything that's going to be covered in the coming weeks, including season two of The White Lotus. And yeah, till next time. Cute outro music. Oh, and shout out to Priscilla and Chizzy. Oh, yeah, shout out to Priscilla and Chizzy.